When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast, bringing you the latest updates from the world of sports, gambling, and pop culture. Because you can't have a show without hot takes or a Tiger King meme these days. Know what I'm saying? Now, with over 200 episodes and ready to get after it again, here's your host, Dwayne Callender. Good morning, everybody. It is Sunday morning and plenty to talk about for the NFL, so let's get right down to it. We had the uh, Saturday games uh, on the slate yesterday uh, for the divisional round. And, you know, let's just get, get uh, settle up uh, in terms of a recap in case you missed it. Uh, the Rams uh, lost to the Packers, no surprise. Uh, the biggest issue for the Rams was... Aaron Donald was truly hurt with the rib injury. Uh, really was a non-factor in the entire game. He left like right in the middle of the second quarter, and the Rams defense clearly was impacted by it because they got zero pressure on Aaron Rodgers. And more importantly, the Packers' run game was just able to take off. I, I mean, they were just gashes. And if Green Bay is able to run the ball on you, uh you're pretty much done. Like the way to beat uh, the Packers is you stop the run and you force Aaron Rodgers to have to throw the ball. And I know that sounds crazy that uh, you would say, yeah, you want Aaron Rodgers throwing uh, the ball around, but truly you actually do want the Packers uh, chucking the ball around because I talked about this before and you know, it won't be reflected in the score, but the Rams secondary, even though they uh, gave up a touch, a passing touchdowns, they held their own against the Packers wide receiver core. Devontae Adams uh, put up numbers, which he usually does, but, you know, the clever design play at the goal line to get uh, the touchdown. I mean, he had catches in the field, but he wasn't actually shredding the Rams defense. Uh, you know, yeah, they were able to uh, uh, make some design plays to uh, get him the ball, but realistically, Devontae Adams wasn't really... Uh, dominating uh, the Rams secondary. Jalen Ramsey was doing a good job on him for the most part. And by and large, uh, when Aaron Rodgers was taking deep shots, uh, Alan Lazard and, uh, I mean, Montez Valdez-Gantling, again, just coming up small (laughs) when (laughs) he's called upon. But Lazard got the big touchdown catch uh, to break it open uh, on a 40, I think it was like a 48-yard touchdown pass. Uh, you know, corner and the safety both bit hard on uh, the play action. And again, this is what I was talking about. If the Packers are able to run, it sets up the play action. So that play only happens because they bit on the play action because they were running the ball so effectively. I mean, if you look at it objectively, you know, uh, the Packers passing attack really did not have that dominant of a game, but because the running attack was so dominant and the Rams could not win the line of scrimmage whatsoever with Aaron Donald out of the lineup, 
you know, Aaron Jones was able to eat. Uh, you know, he didn't have 100-plus yards rushing, but they were just able to control drives, just keep the clock running. And, you know, the Rams' offense is just so inept with Jared Goff at under center. Uh, you know, I, I I said this before. Like, I didn't see a way for the Rams to crack 20 points unless there was a defensive turnover and, you know, the Ram, uh, the Rams' secondary missed some opportunities to pick off Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers tried to take some deep shots over the top. Uh, against the Rams secondary. Uh, there were a couple of plays that could have picked them off. Uh, they missed uh, some opportunities in the end zone uh, that could have uh, affected the outcome of the game. But, you know, they were struggling to make a defensive play to kind of counteract it because the Rams offense just kept going three and out multiple times. They only put together like three sustained drives. And it and it was just McVay play calling against the Packers defense. Jared Goff cannot run an offense improv. It has to be spoon-fed to him by McVay, and McVay has to get every single aspect of what the Packers are trying to do right, or any other defense for that matter, in order for Golf to succeed. I, I mean, it, it's it's kind of an insult to game managers to call Jared Golf a game manager because game managers can still find ways of getting the sticks moving. Golf just ain't that dude, and he's being paid as though he's one of the top half starters in the league. I mean, he's actually being paid as a top 10 QB. He's not even close to that right now. So the Rams have a have to make a decision, I think, in the draft of, can they identify someone who can take over the QB duties in a year or two? Because the Rams are going to have to make some salary considerations in about a, uh, in that same time frame and uh, within two years. And because, uh, you know, they had Cam Akers fall into their lap to replace Gurley. Uh, and, you know, Akers is going to be that guy moving forward. But man, oh man, like Sean McVay, you know, I got to think that McVay's got to be looking at this and thinking long term. Can I seriously keep coming up with game plans to stump defenses all the time? Because I don't know if golf is ever going to be good enough to elevate beyond what I uh, feed him at the line of scrimmage every time. It, it really was uh, glaring how much that game was predicated on McVay being able to make the right play call at the right time and golf not being able to recognize what the Packers were doing at the line of scrimmage. It, it, there's just no getting around it, and no Cooper Cup certainly hurt, but golf get, basically had to make more plays uh, they got some uh, uh, some a uh, couple of plays there for Van Jefferson and Reynolds, but realistically, they can't find ways of generating offense unless it's a clever play design, and that only gets you so far unless you can truly dominate teams running the football. And Akers did his job. I mean. That that's the frustrating part about watching the Rams play. If they're if they can't get themselves into a third and short situation, golf can't figure out a way of getting a first down. And when you have that upper tier uh, quarterback, they can find ways of getting first downs, even if it's third and long. And that's just not golf's game. He cannot do it. Uh, you know, even once he he can't do it, and that's 
that's the thing that is troubling because at this stage in his career, golf actually needs to be able to make some of those plays. Uh, it's not as though he can't scramble. He he has some athleticism. Like he just doesn't have the instincts to make plays, and that's the troubling part about all of this. Uh, to be perfectly frank, and then uh, you know, like I said, on the Packer side. That was about as uh, business professional as it gets. So it just turned into a kind of a sequence where, you know, the uh, the Packers try to do their deep shots, uh, but the, the Rams were holding up. It was just the fact that over time, the attrition of the play action, that's what eventually softened up the Rams' defense. And that was all she wrote because the Rams' offense was not going to get there. The Rams defense had to make some plays and they started gambling later on in the game. So that gets us to the Saturday night game. And, you know, maybe I should have factored this into more in the decision-making process, but man, the wind in Buffalo was bad. I mean that it, it, you know, it was high winds, but you know, you can have high winds in Buffalo at times, but it was swirling winds, and that is the worst condition because you watch the facial expressions of Justin Tucker, the kicker of uh, the Ravens, and you see like he he's gauging the wind, and it's flipping like within ten seconds. So even if you think you've got the kick lined up, the balls start going swirling in in a different direction, and so what should be a routine kick just turns into uh, uh, off the upright. So Al Michaels was just jinxing Justin Tucker left and right last night. But, you know, the facial expressions were priceless. But, you know, I should have thought about the wind a little bit more in terms of the roster build. But I told you guys this before. Number one wide receivers are difference makers. And you can see what a number one wide receiver can do for uh, a team. because. Devontae Adams finds ways to get himself open. He will find a way to give a pocket to space, look for him, uh, he will get there. You watched that game last night with the Ravens and Bills. Lamar Jackson is actually creating time and space for his receivers to get open. They can't get there. Like Hollywood Brown, Mark Andrews, they are not getting separation. And yeah, Lamar could try to throw uh, throw uh, th- throw into pockets of space to get there, but realistically, if you're forcing Lamar to throw into tight uh, windows, yeah, he can do it, but he's not going to be able to do it effectively. And that's the a, a key problem with the Ravens in general as an offense. They can find themselves in bad situations, and I thought they were a little banged up uh, heading into this game, and it kind of showed because, you know, Lamar got knocked out of the game, but he didn't look all that, uh, he didn't look too uh, spry in the first half either, and, you know, they couldn't get the run game going with Dobbins. They just had a lot of difficulty, you know, even though they ran the ball against the Bills, they weren't eating up huge, they weren't breaking off huge runs. They weren't blowing up holes uh, during the game. And that's where, you know, Buffalo's not that great of a run defense. They just did not really 
uh, have a uh, much in the way of uh, of a of a punch, and you know it showed. I mean, you score three points in the game, like th- th- something is uh, off. I mean, the the Ravens ran for a hundred and fifty yards, but I kind of told you this from the outset. The Ravens basically needed to have close to, I I, I figured, uh, uh, four hundred yards, uh, three fifty to four hundred yards of offense, and be able to control clock. The Bills were struggling mightily with the wind. Josh Allen could not hit anyone. Uh, Josh Allen had thirty-seven pass attempts, and only had two hundred six yards passing. It was one of it. Uh, it was actually the Josh Allen of last year, uh, just missing receivers left and right. He missed uh, uh, Stefan Diggs twice. Like Stefan Diggs had eight catches for 106 yards, and he easily, uh, if Josh Allen hit, hits him uh, where he was supposed to, uh, Stefan Diggs clears a buck fifty easily, easily. Uh, Stefan Diggs just dominated the Ravens secondary as I thought he would. It's just that uh, Allen could not manage with the wind. But like I said, Diggs was able to get open in spaces. And even with a fluttering ball that the Ravens were uh, struggling with uh, uh, dealing with the wind, if you have a number one wide receiver, they can find ways of getting open. Now, people are going to complain about uh, the deep throws. Both QBs were missing receivers uh, uh, open in stride. It's not just Lamar. Uh, the wind was playing, uh, having issues with deep balls all night long. But, you know, it it's, uh, it's one of those uh, situations where I kind of look at it as this. The Ravens, you know, they could, uh, they could say that they had a successful year, but realistically, it's showing the limitations of that offense. I don't see if you're telling me that Mark Andrews is a top uh, a tight end, he's got to be able to have more of an impact on that uh, game. I mean, he had 11 targets yesterday, but he only had four catches for 28 yards. He had no separation. And when you're talking about the Kelsey's and the George Kittles of the world, they find ways of getting themselves open. I don't consider Mark Andrews in that tier. I just don't. It's like I, I keep, uh, I keep seeing it because I saw this play out throughout the regular season. Like Andrews was not getting separation, and uh, Hollywood Brown, Marquise Brown, you know, he's a burner. But you know, if you give him intermediate routes, he does not find ways of getting himself open. Now, was he open on the critical play where Lamar threw the pick six? Uh, in the end zone that got ran all the way back for a touchdown that swung the game for the bills. Yes. Uh, if, uh, Lamar spots, uh, Hollywood Brown, that's a touchdown. Here's the problem. Uh, Jerry Hughes got the pressure on Lamar and you know, Lamar could not, uh, did not see, uh, Hollywood Brown. He, he was locked in on, um, Oh, why do I want to say it? Uh, I believe that, that now that I think about it, I believe that play was uh, uh, targeting 
Andrews, who was covered, by the way. It's not as though uh, Trey Johnson, uh, when he drifted back in, was the only thing stopping that from being a touchdown. Mark Andrews was uh, tightly covered. Lamar just locked in on him because he, you know, he figures uh, everyone is in tight coverage. I might as well throw to Andrews because he has the biggest body to try to body someone out of the way, which isn't the way you should be thinking about uh, the offensive plays. But if you watch the game, that entire game, no one really had much of a step uh, in terms of the Ravens wide receiver core. So that's his, uh, that's how, as a QB, you start uh, your mind starts playing tricks on you. That man, I don't really have anyone that's getting uh, open. Let's uh, uh, let's uh, let's kind of uh, push the envelope uh, uh, towards this guy because maybe he might be able to get something going. And that's where Lamar was pressing, and you can see him pressing. You're like not making excuses, but. The Ravens have to get a number one wide receiver this offseason. By hook or by crook, if they have to pay uh, pay a lot of money to get uh, Kenny Galladay in there, so be it. But realistically, the Ravens need a number one wide receiver in the worst way possible. Because what they've got there right now is not going to be enough to get into the uh into the world series as at this stage, you know, folks have been trying to say that Baltimore can find a way to get it done, uh, without having a true legitimate wide receiver in there. But teams have caught on to Greg Roman's scheme, uh, with the Ravens. And as good as Lamar can be at times, I think you have to be able to find multiple ways of winning in the postseason, and the Ravens don't have it at the moment. They they really rely on Lamar to figure out a way of getting it done, and uh, they just weren't able to get it done last night. It's just uh, that straightforward. So the way I kind of see uh, uh, today's matchups going, you know... I mean, let's just talk about it from a DFS perspective, the chiefs Browns. And, you know, we talked about this yesterday. Chiefs are going to put up points against the Browns. I don't see a scenario where the Browns defense uh, with their secondary issues. And we saw big Ben Roethlisberger, even though they were down being able to chew up that secondary in the second half last Sunday. So I just think it's disingenuous to say that, you know, the Brown secondary is going to be able to shut down Tyree kill and Travis Kelsey. I I think those guys are going to get theirs. The question becomes, are the chiefs going to get up on them early or are the Browns going to be able to keep it close? And you have to be able to make that uh, determination because it depends on how you want to build out your roster. If you think the Chiefs get on them early, then that means they're uh, the Browns are going to be playing from behind, and it favors more of a Baker Mayfield type of build where you can get a Kelsey and a Tyree kill and then run it back with Jarvis Landry and maybe an Austin, an Austin Hooper, but you're able to fit in both Tyree kill and Kelsey. If you're just going with you know, 
the build that uh, the Browns stay in it all the way through, then you're assuming, uh, you know, uh, Nick Chubb is going to get it going. And if you're playing Chubb, it makes it harder to play Baker because you're just not going to get that many pass attempts if Chubb's going strong <clears throat> and um and 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 going about it that way it's almost uh, better if you were uh if Chubb's going they're going to keep feeding Chubb the rock and then do some dump offs uh to Kareem Hunt but also give uh, Hunt some carries as well and you fade the passing game for the Browns completely and just go with uh the Chiefs uh uh, passing attack uh, with uh, uh, either Hill or Kelsey as the run back. Because I think in this second game with the Saints and uh, Tampa Bay, you're still going to see points. So from a salary construction standpoint, if we go back to yesterday's episode, what I talked about is the fact that Mahomes is so much more expensive than everyone else. Because Mahomes is still going to run you uh, north of um, uh, Mahomes is is going to run you north of uh, uh, okay so yeah Mahomes is down to seventy nine hundred uh, uh, for the Sunday only slate if you're if you're still doing a two game slate uh, he's eight k so the, the the truth of the matter is is that you know Mahomes. Even at seventy nine hundred, it's still so much more expensive than everyone else. That if you play Chubb, I think you're almost obligated to have to fit in uh, a Demarcus Robinson if you want to play more aspects of the Cleveland passing attack. See, the other way of going about this is you could play. Mahomes and and play a cheap uh a cheap receiver to make it work. I just don't like either Robinson or uh Hardman in that regard, but you could certainly do it. Now, Robinson dropped from 4 uh, 4.3k uh, to 3.6k. And that actually makes it a more palatable play for the Sunday only slate because now you can actually, uh, you don't have to go to a Deontay Harris in the second game. You can go to, uh, you can go to uh, uh, more aspects of the Chiefs uh, passing attack. So uh, that's the kind of way you have to look at it uh, is uh, going at it from uh, the viewpoint of, where can I get value? If I'm playing Mahomes, I'm going to have to go cheap somewhere uh, in the Chiefs passing attack to make it worthwhile. Uh, beforehand, when you were building out the four-game slate and had Mahomes, you were stuck with basically playing Deontay Harris in most regards to make the math work. Now, at 7.9, you can naturally uh, get uh, get the uh, Marcus Robinson in the mix. and have uh Tyreek Hill or Kelsey in the roster construction with uh some other uh pieces of the Cleveland game. 
The other aspect that I don't think folks are going to be looking at is I think, like I said, there are points to be had in the second game. But if you're just doing one lineup, I would still focus on the Chiefs-Browns game. If you're not playing more than five lineups, I would still say focus on the Chiefs-Browns game if you're doing the Sunday-only slate. But if you're willing to take a little bit more risk, I definitely think that there's grounds to be playing Brady at 6.3K at QB because you got uh, an opportunity to play Antonio Brown at 5.1. You got Godwin at 5.7K. And Michael Thomas has a run back at 6.6. They all had price decreases. So you can make the math work and still be able to get in a Chubb and uh, yeah, you can get in Chubb, you can get in Alvin Kamara with Brady lineups. There are ways to get it done. I'm just saying that in terms of variety of construction, it makes sense to have exposure to uh, the Saints uh, uh, Buccaneers game because that one could actually shoot out. There's a chance the Chiefs game doesn't shoot out, and it involves the, uh, Cleveland being able to run out the uh, run out the game with Chubb. But the teams that were able to do that against the Chiefs, and best example being Oakland, yeah, Oakland was able to run the game, uh, run the ball, but. Both Kelsey and Tyreek Hill got there. If you look at the game logs for Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, uh, Kelsey had eight uh, eight catches, both games against the Raiders, put up over 25 fantasy points on DraftKings, and Tyreek put up over 24 DraftKings points uh, in both contests against the Raiders and had a 30-point game. So both Kelsey and Hill should be able to get there with a secondary that has the injuries that the Browns do. I just I just look at it from that standpoint. The build you sh- you should consider having is the fact that uh Kelsey and Tyreek Hill are in there. As it stands. It doesn't look like Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going to make the game today. So with him being out it makes it a lot harder to see how the Chiefs get away from running, uh, I mean, from uh, uh, throwing the ball against uh, against the Bengals front. I just, I just have a very tough time seeing how the Chiefs uh, get away from uh, uh, th- throwing it around. So, to me the build is still leaning towards if you're only doing uh, a couple of lineups, you're still playing the Chiefs-Browns game. I'm just saying you got to keep an open mind about the second game where you can play an Antonio Brown or you drop down from Mahomes to Brady because Brady's passing options in Tampa, he should be able to put up points. And you may be able to see in large-scale tournaments someone win with someone other than Mahomes as their QB. So that's uh, the thought process you should be going through is how do the game scripts uh, flow uh, 
in terms of winning uh, winning the playoff matchups, of what's likely and how much you want to commit to that particular take? Because that's the difference. I think nine and a half points is too big of a spread for the Browns. I think the Chiefs win the game, but I think that's just too big of a spread. So I, I think Baker Mayfield lineups are very viable today in DFS. That's just my opinion. In terms of the Buccaneers-Saints game, you know, the Saints won both matchups uh, in the regular season, and they won them pretty handily. Uh, it's not as though uh, it was fluke victories. Like, they, they did handle the Bucks, but I think the Bucks are still the better team. And I still have deep reservations about Drew Brees. It still seems unlikely that we're getting Taysom Hill to differentiate that Saints, uh, Saints attack. Maybe he plays, but it's still very much uh, up in the air, like how effective he can be if he hasn't even practiced this week, hasn't taken snaps. You know, it makes it a lot harder to pull the trigger on that uh, to be used at, as anything other than a decoy. And so, realistically, the biggest uh, detriment to the Saints is Drew Brees. I keep saying this. If the Saints had switched over to Jameis Winston when Brees got hurt initially, I think the Saints probably go on to win the Super Bowl. Uh, As crazy as that may sound to folks, uh, not taking KC, I think if you gave Jameis Winston the weapons that Drew Brees has on the Saints and allowed allowed him to actually run the offense, yeah, he could turn the ball over, but when you have uh, the talent, there's a possibility that uh, Jameis was still going to be able to uh, put up big numbers in uh, turnover-prone games. I'm just saying. The issue with Breeze is he loses arm strength as the season goes along. And from game to game, if he doesn't have it, he doesn't get it back during the game. It's either he has it or he doesn't. And if he doesn't show up today early, what do what the Saints do? You throw in a cold Jameis Winston at QB? No, they're going to ride Drew Breeze all the way to a loss. And maybe they put in Taysom if he can suit up, but... Like I said, no practice time. It, it it just doesn't look to me like a situation where the Saints come away with uh, a win here. It, the momentum is, uh, to me, is pointing towards Tampa Bay, and I know what Brady's going to bring to the table. So, to me, it's just pretty clear that I see Tampa winning this, and if you're giving me uh, – uh, if uh, if you're giving me points as a two po- uh, two and a half point underdog, I'm still taking Tampa. So that's uh, that's the kind of way I'm I'm, I'm viewing these matchups. Uh, you know, again, you just have to kind of bear out what you think the true game script is going to be uh, for how you think the games are going to go and how you're going to build out your DFS rosters. That's what it's going to come down to. But uh, you know. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, it's it's one of those uh, things that, uh, as I said, uh, you you need, do need to be mindful of how you want to approach uh, the 
approach approach your builds and be confident in terms of your takes because uh, realistically, trying to spread out every piece of every game may not necessarily be the way to go about it for this two game slate because there's just so many options on both squads to get there. I just think that the best way of going about it is fading Drew Brees at the QB spot and going with any other option at QB is the, the starting point and then figure out where your roster construction goes from there. So that does it for me. Uh, good luck with uh, your lineups and uh, enjoy the games. Thanks for listening to the fantasy throwdown podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all other major outlets. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.